Welcome to the Accelerant Podcast, where we are impacting thought leadership in the nonprofit community. Hi there. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I'm your host, Saranda West. Today I am joined by Gloria Winters. Gloria is the CMO of the YMCA of the Pikes Peak region. Now for most of you, when I say CMO, I know you all think like chief marketing officer, but hold tight because Gloria is in fact the chief medical officer. So obviously going to dig into that. Gloria, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Saranda. So Chief Medical Officer, will you just start out and uh, elaborate, like, what is that? What is your role and what do you do with the YMCA? Yeah, so as you said, I'm their Chief Medical Officer um, now for three and a half years. I was in formal healthcare for 18 years. I had uh, 12 clinical practices across the state of Colorado and uh, was a practitioner myself. I had my doctorate in physical therapy, so my expertise is in exercise and sports science, sports medicine, and all the things that go with that. Um, so I um, was doing that and loved it for all 18 years, and then I really saw an exponential change in how our healthcare was functioning and the ability for patients to get access to get good care and actually even for providers to love what they're doing because of all of the different um, federal requirements and insurance requirements, it just starts to consume the practitioner's time and make it challenging to treat patients in the way that we always had. And so I knew that those were issues um, going into practice early on, but they seemed to escalate um, within those last couple of years that I was leading the practices and um, and then practicing myself. And so started to really look into how I could impact more of the health of the patient. And the CDC had put out years ago that 80% of what impacts a patient's health is the socioeconomic environment, the behavioral factors, and then the physical. And so when you look at that, a place like the YMCA is something that is very, very specific to impacting all of those areas. And then 20%, um, the CDC had named as being um, what the clinical practice affects the patient's health. And so that's actually a small amount. And when you're looking at how to really do what we call whole person care, that component is really, really important. I guess, Gloria, that fits perfectly in terms of the wise mission and and what has been the mission for years in terms of spirit, mind, and body, right? And really rounding out the full person, like the overall health of the person. Yeah, correct. So exactly when you talk about whole person care, um, you're really looking at how you can connect that formal healthcare environment to the other things that affect it. And, and the why really does that. So I saw the why as being a health organization where I really was from the formal healthcare organization. And I had um, quite a few of my uh, clinics within YMCAs and or positioned very close to them. And so I knew functionally that that continuum of care could happen, um, whether it was for my cancer patients or my musculoskeletal patients, my Parkinson's patients, I could connect them to the YMCA as an extension of my care. And oftentimes they would say, hey, Gloria, your care was fantastic. It did exactly what we were hoping to. But the experience that I had at the Y with the relationships, those things were actually life changers for me. So that's um, 
that's a little bit of history of where I came from. And so started talking to some um, different leaders about how we could work this and, and what impact we could have by actually having someone lead from the why um, in this scope. And so that's, that's where it really came from. And so the intent of that, um, of my current position is really to connect formal healthcare back to the why and everything does, and, it, and then enhance the things that the why does. So many of our offerings are diabetes prevention programs or um, other chronic disease management programs, um, like I said, Parkinson's, and then all, I mean, uh, it doesn't matter what age you are, there's probably some aches and pains that you have in your body. Uh, and so most people are, are walking wounded, and are they actually getting that care that they need, and can we actually help refer back to formal health care and then back into our why for the things that they need before and after that. So that's, that's really the scope of how that developed, and um, it's really been fascinating to see now in, in this new COVID environment, actually how that's compressed and accelerated the need for the why to be able to offer that whole person care as an extension of what the formal health care is doing and what they need help with. Absolutely. And I guess to give everyone some context, so it is, um, I think I know what day it is. It is uh, May 6th. So we are right in the kind of the time in terms of quarantine, I guess, help me uh, give us a little bit of the what's going on in your community right now in Colorado Springs. Yeah, so I'm in um, Colorado Springs, and uh, we went on to a stay at home in March and April, and then that was lifted to what we call safer at home just here last week. And so still with all of the social distancing, hygiene, and all the infection control measures that we can possibly have, but that means that retail stores can start to do curbside pickup and uh, restaurants can do the same. Our facilities are still closed, and we will be having those announcements come out hopefully in the next couple weeks of what the uh, recommendations from our governor will be. But that's very, there's a few other states that are a little bit ahead of us in allowing um, opening of facilities, but we've been planning for that and uh, we're we're going to be ready to go once we get the green light um, to be as safe and as healthy as absolutely possible. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, and I definitely want to come back to the reopening because I think there's a lot that people are trying to decide and figure out, just like you said, planning. But in terms of like the programs that you help facilitate and run, going back to the like diabetes prevention, or I guess what has happened to those programs during this quarantine time? Yeah, that's a great question. So we were able to fairly quickly shift a lot of our um, programs to virtual. And as we know, in the formal healthcare world, telehealth has skyrocketed. There was a lot of perceived barriers for that before. Um, I think in the same for us in the, in the virtual exercise world. Uh, we're such a relationship-centric organization, and that still felt like a barrier. So that had, we moved very quickly into offering virtual programs for um, all ages, children, youth, adults, and specifically for our, our older adults. So really those programs, keeping the relationships and doing their workouts at home. Yeah. Yeah, one of the examples of that is um, we have a very specific diabetes prevention program for the Latino community and that um, non-English speaking, only Spanish speaking. And so there is, we had developed that um, specifically for many of the undocumented uh, Latino families in our community to have access to that. And so they were becoming very comfortable coming into our facilities, feeling safe. And so when, when the facilities closed, that was a real 
disruption for them. Not only were they losing jobs and um, you know kids weren't in school anymore, but now they had nowhere to go that they felt safe. And so we were able to launch that into a virtual platform and then as well offer um, meals for them to come pick up at our facilities because both parents had lost their jobs or, or furloughed. So we've been able to see that continue and they've actually continued to have weight loss and um, they're doing their exercises and they're sending us posts. And so that was one of the real pluses for me with, you know, the silver linings and all of the, the COVID uh, pandemic is to see, see the communities really come together and ha- continue to have impact. Absolutely. And one of the things I noticed on your website, the Y has also been offering um, child care for for similar situations, I guess, for emergency workers. Yeah. So we launched that immediately when we learned that the facilities were going to be closed and that the surge was happening. Uh, healthcare workers were going to need to be in the facilities and, um, and what, what were the kiddos going to do? And so we were able to launch that critical child care right away and put all the measures in place for safety and health and, and then allow for the physicians and nurses and first responders to get where they needed to be. And I, I had quite a bit of outreach um, one-on-one on the phone with them to see how that was going and see if what we were providing was everything that they needed. And the stories that came back from um, psychiatrists from um, emergency medicine docs, uh, you name it, of just saying, we wouldn't be able to do this without having the critical childcare. And so, you know, you're offering something good, but then when you really get in and hear the stories and uh, one, the, the psychiatrist was an interesting story because it wasn't my first thought for a first responder type of position, but she said, Gloria, the um, amount of behavioral health issues, the social isolation that this has caused, has caught the, the fear that this has caused. She said, my caseload has gone through the roof and I'm working double time. And so I need a place for my kiddo to be safe and have good curriculum and activities and, um, and some consistency. That is so great to hear. And you mentioned a key piece of that, I think, is that there's kids are safe, too, because it's one of the things to put yourself on the front line, but making sure. So can you talk through some of just what those processes are in terms of what you put in place specifically for the child care offering? Yeah. Yeah. So like I'm sure anyone that's listening to this is done if they're in business, they had to set up all kinds of um, guidelines and policies and procedures. And so the kiddos would come in and have a quick health assessment and temperature reading, um, as well as all of our staff. Um, hygiene, you know, washing hands for 20 seconds immediately upon arrival. We do drive-through drop-off so the parents don't actually come in. So less contact with less people means less potential. Um, all, you know, and this came a couple weeks down, but uh, we moved into both staff and kiddos wearing face masks. And then uh, just the cleaning and disinfecting procedures uh, to the nil. We, behind every single um kiddo comes somebody that's cleaning and uh, and then we map out our zones for our facilities so that the you know there's less than 10 kiddos in each section and they don't just they're not usually they would go through some kind of rotation with their activities and engagement and we had to um, shift and navigate all those things but the Colorado Department of Public Health and our El Paso County um, Department of Public Health were we were on the phone with them um, two or three times a week to talk through um, those measures and as well as what to do when somebody comes down with COVID. And we we had uh, plausible cases with staff, with kiddos, with parents, with the, the, the um, parents being healthcare workers. So 
those policies and procedures, we learned very quickly how to communicate with our public, um, how to communicate with the families and, and, and with the kiddos to make them feel safe in a time that's so um, unprecedented for them. And going back to the mental health piece, I know for kids that I think you have kids, I, I do as well. And, and just then like my five-year-old still can't comprehend what is going on and why we can't go to the trampoline park. I think he asks like every other day and just helping them understand. I know that's got to be a piece of that as well. Yeah, our staff have been so phenomenal in creating a place of safety and trust and joy for those kiddos. We've had the Olympics. We were all expecting to see the Olympics this summer, and that didn't happen. And of course, Colorado Springs is Olympic City. And so we've had um, Olympic athletes virtually call in and chat with our kiddos and talk about their disappointments and their struggles of not being able to go places that they wanted to. And and I mean, certainly not being able to compete when they've trained and prepared for something. So uh, we went into lockdown um, at spring break. So most of these kiddos had plans for spring break and, and that got disrupted. So really speaking to the disruption in their lives. And, um, and we have quite a few of those things set up for um, the kiddos to participate in. That's fabulous. So what does it look like? Or, and I guess in terms of reopening, sticking with the, the child care theme, I know we're moving into summer. Um, schools are still closed. Are the same processes or what's the conversations around opening up for summer camp? Yeah, I just got off a call here right before I jumped on with you to discuss those components. So we have set those into phases of um, potential reopening and that's all been mapped out. So whether it's zones and um, rotation rotation times and mapping for distance and all those things uh, are we're, we're looking into. We did actually already expand our critical care when we went from stay at home to safer at home. Now some um, parents need to go back to the workplace. And so we've already expanded that just in the last week. And so we're continuing to, to plan for those camps, um, whether it's the day camps that we locally hold at our facilities, we're partnering very strongly with our school districts. And that's been, um, it. one of the beauties of this always the silver lining is that uh, the the cooperation, the collaboration that occurs within um, our previous partners now have been elevated to a place of, man, we're, we're going to make this happen so that the community um, has access to, to whatever it is that they need. Right. I wanted to go back to one small detail because I think it's what everyone's trying to figure out. You're checking temperatures, asking for symptoms of the kids with like child care. What does that look like? And even as you're opening back up, even this, like gym facilities, what does that look like in terms of capturing that data and concerns about HIPAA compliance and just anything associated with tracking any of that health information? Yeah, so we, we look at the, um, for example, the process would be if our facility was open, you would schedule a time to come in. And again, these are all plans for reopening. Um, and we will wait for final guidance from the state in order to determine if we need to switch something. But um, the essence of it would be that you would schedule a time to come in, whether it's through a personal training or group fitness class or to use a piece of machinery. And then you would actually um, walk in and go to the hygiene station where you would uh, wash your hands or disinfect your hands, um, have your temperature taken, and then have a um, health screen done. We have a technology um, that we'll be utilizing to gather that data. It's all HIPAA compliant. 
if we determine that we need to store that data. We're leaning in that direction. The easy button is to obviously just not store any of that information. One of the reasons we're looking at going ahead and storing that for both staff and members is because of contact tracing. And, you know, if that person were to come down within the next 48 hours with COVID, then we would want to trace that back to the persons that they were in contact with. That would be both for um, the sake of public health information, as well as what is best practice to controlling the surge of any of COVID again. Gloria, real quick, let's go back to one of the things you mentioned in terms of contact tracing. I know this is maybe not quite all fleshed out yet, but we, and we've been working on different pieces, how we can track capacity um, of the facility and then also to the area. What are your thoughts in terms of what that looks like moving forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So we are zoning all of our facilities. So there'll be a map of zones and we'll know which zones are active and when they're active and when cleaning and disinfecting needs to come into that zone. So it's it's a whole developed process. You'll have to sign up for your class through Group Exercise Pro or whatever else we're using in advance of coming to the facility so that we know how many are going to be on site. You have to check in, you have to check out. So we would actually know what zone you were in and what people that you were with. And that's our phase one. So phase two will expand upon that, but um, everything's zoned. The, The flow, the walkway, where you're at. Did that answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of your kind of talking through like the hygiene station and then scheduling to come to the facility. What other, I guess, what other plans are you kind of still talking through to figure out what the other processes may include? Yeah, the facilities themselves are um, being structured for all the the hygiene, social distancing, and cleaning and disinfecting. I mean, those are the three big components that then you fall everything else underneath. So we mapping out in all of our group exercise rooms, um, the six feet apart, how many persons can we have per square foot? Um, what does the cleaning and disinfecting rotation look like? Um, we have special machines that we've ordered that you can spray down that electrostatic cleaners. Um, they look like the Ghostbuster backpacks. <laughs> so we've had quite a few uh, good jokes about, about Ghostbusters right now. Um, but you know, everything that we can put into place that creates the most trust and, and safe and health facility, because there's really two spectrums. There's the, the side, probably even listening to this, that says, no way, do not even open up until everything is 100% secure. And then there's the other side that's laid back and says, why not? You know, let's get our, our herd immunity going, right? So you get very separate ends of the spectrum. What we want to do is come up with all of the guidelines, policies, and procedures that could put us in the the best place to live life well. And there's OSHA and there's HHS and there's your public health departments. And obviously everybody knows now the CDC giving us all of these requirements and guidelines. So we're following those to the strictest letter of the law. And then we know that we've done due diligence to put everything in place to be a functioning business. And and to that extent, we have to get back to a functioning business that our economics can return. I've never been in a situation where there's such a tight link between healthcare 
and economics. And this tightrope that we're walking, this cyclical effect of um, one bouncing off the other, if we don't figure that out and get it pretty right, there's not a lot of margin for error right now because of so many of the unknowns. And so I think that those agencies that I just listed are doing such a good job to give us best practices. And we're really going to be able to um, assure the community that they do need to get back and get exercising for their immune system and for their social cohesion and, and for their life. Um, and they can do that in a, in a safe place. How do you see, you know, one of the things that I've been, I've been struggling with, and I know the general public is as well, is you have so much, there's so much information just coming at us at one time and not knowing, I know you listened, listed out those agencies. I guess it's because it's like, should you wear a mask? Should you not? Should you wear gloves? Should you not? So out of those agencies you listed, like what is one that you use as like your data, your truth of this is what we're going to follow? Yeah. So first of all, CDC, because that's going to be your best regulatory agency for determining those ends of the spectrum. Do I wear a mask? Do I not? So that's a really good consistent one where you're not going to get as confused. And then OSHA for the return to work guidelines and the CDC match up beautifully. So those are the two that I go to daily to see if there's any changes to check into. And then the, the third would really be your local public health agency. We are seeing that health is run at a state level. So oftentimes there, there's been, uh, now if you look into any of the current blogs that are out there, or maybe even podcasts, there's this talk about global health, uh, national health, and then local health. And so there, that's a whole another conversation to be had about how those three different ones um, with the politics and with the guidelines. But at the state level, that's where we're really making our local decisions based off of what we see of our COVID cases, our curves, and how to make decisions. And so that's the third entity that I check every day is our um, both the state public health department and then our county um, public health department. And I'm in conversation with um, both of those entities on an almost daily basis to see where we need to pivot and move in order to continue with our best practices for the things that we are currently doing. That's so helpful. And how do you see in terms of reopening, you know, and putting members at ease that they are coming back to a safe environment. How do you see the communication to members changing during that time? Locally, I will tell you, our marketing department has been so fantastic with their communication. We have been, um, if there could be a case of over-communication, that's what we're trying to do to make sure that we have full transparency to the public of what we're up to, how we're getting there, and the services that we're providing. But to really answer your question, I think trust is the main issue. We have always been, both nationally and locally, a, a trusted organization. And so that component we are only furthering that by all of the um, steps that we're taking to make sure that when we reopen, we're, we're safe and healthy. Uh, fear is what is the preeminent atmosphere of the day. And so when you look at how to bring that back to a level of trust, there's um, a few different dimensions of trust that need to be focused on that personal physical trust, that I can trust my physical space. Um, there's the economic financial component. There's the socioeconomic component. So really looking at the, 
the core factors of what create trust and coming back to that and then making sure we're answering those questions in those categories, in those dimensions. Yeah, that's perfect. I guess in mental health and, and the whole health, how are you staying healthy during this time? Because I know it's been very chaotic, especially for you and your role um, with the wise, you've been figuring out these reopening plans and everything coming at you. Yeah, um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I did hear on some other calls, uh, some people would say, oh, this is, a, I've had a chance to reset and, um, you know, kind of have some rest time. <laughs> and that just really blows my mind because that's nowhere near where where we've been at. So I've just found, you know, family, of course, been a huge component of just my um, mental health and well-being. And then uh, in Colorado, we're just now getting to um, hopefully a beautiful spring here. And so beauty is what really restores my soul and finding beauty, whether it's in mountain biking or um, the outdoors and, and having some moments. I'm with you in terms of, I've heard so many say like, you know, I got a chance to do a puzzle for the first time in however many years or all of this exercise. I'm like, I've just been sitting at my desk. But um, I think that's all for good, right? Exactly to what we've been talking about in terms of the why in particular has been um, just serving the needs of the community and evolving quickly as, as those have been ever changing in the past six weeks, eight weeks. And there's so many painful stories right now, um, both in our community and our, you know, we've had a really some very close staff that, you know, family members and such have, have passed with COVID. And so those are all reality. So you don't ever want to sugarcoat it, but there's quite a few different authors that I love that really speak to beauty, restoring the soul. And so when there's so many painful things and the trauma continues to occur over a long period of time. It's not one stressor that has occurred that causes our fight or flight and we uh, have our adrenaline run and then we have, um, you know, three days to recover from that. No, this is a sustained thing. Um, the stressors are real over a long period of time. And so whatever beauty it is that you find um, that restores your soul, go find that, do that and allow that to fill up that space that's been consumed with all of this. So Gloria, um, in terms of, I know you have a lot of interim plans and still, as you said, taking in information daily to get to what the reopening plans for the whole, for all of the parts that the YMCA serves, whether that's childcare or people actually coming in to work out and knowing that a lot of others are in that same, that same place. Any final words or any other considerations that we haven't talked about yet? Yeah, maybe a couple things. We we didn't talk too much about our outreach to the vulnerable populations to our older adults. We've made over 14,000 phone calls to our um, senior population to check in, see what they need. The follow-up with that has been uh, we have gone to, oh, I think as of today, it's probably over 300 deliveries, whether it's food or someone needed a webcam for their telehealth visit that they couldn't get. We've done care packages, you name it. And we've partnered with a different food agencies to do hundreds and hundreds of food distribution and, and um, on-site help for for the, those populations. So that's a really big component, not just the work that we're doing with seniors, but again, when you see the partnership and collaborating with these other entities, one of the, the research studies that I read from Deloitte was saying that two of the biggest drivers for our long-term outcomes of this 
pandemic will be, um, you look at the intensity of the pandemic partnered with the ability to collaborate with other entities like Dexco, <laughs> like the food agencies, like our healthcare partners that the YMCA has. When we pull that together really tightly, that for our local area is going to decrease that overall impact of the pandemic. And for me, when we're looking at what are a couple things that I can grab onto to really make a difference in the outcome of this pandemic, that's what I go to. Otherwise, there's just a volcano of information and unknowns that it, you start to get lost in, in the overwhelm zone. And so I kind of pull that back into, okay, let's look at who our partners are. Let's look how we can um, bring this together and then make impact. And that's what, to your point, what we're really seeing with the childcare and we're really seeing with um, our vulnerable and older adult populations, it's making a difference. And I can tell you that that will have affected long-term. We'll be able to look back and see in our area that that changed the outcome of the pandemic. I'm so glad you brought up the the senior population and the outreach there and maybe even expand that because I know in terms of COVID, like the seniors are, are more at risk or those with preconditions, like having to decide for themselves a lot, you know, are they going to come back? So what would your advice um, for those particular groups be? Or how do you see those, like the outreach that you're doing now, how do you see that outreach even continuing over the coming months until we get a handle on this? Yeah, so I, I heard a couple of questions there. So let me see if I can um, pull them in. So I would first say that we've always known that the chronic disease population is an at-risk population. Everybody knows that. We've um, been talking more in the medical field and then in the public health field for the last few years about social determinants of health, which means really what, what's driving your health, what's actually impacting it. So transportation, food, access. Um, these are things that um, have been, been taking a lot of notice in the last few years. So chronic disease and social determinants. And now we've added to that communicable disease. So you add communicable disease to these other two, and these three are now going to be our permanent buckets. So a year ago, communicable disease, the flu, the cold, people would have gone, whatever. Now that won't leave their language for years and years to come. So we may have kind of pointed the finger at somebody with the chronic disease and say, oh yeah, they need more help. Or somebody that has transportation issues, oh yeah, they need more help. Now it's even the healthy, active individual that says, oh shoot, now I'm in this bucket with communicable disease. Like I I have a chance of getting that, and so now I'm living in this. So it's not as actually segregated out anymore. We're all lumped into it. Now, those with chronic disease, actually, then you add communicable disease to that and social determinants to that, they're even a higher need bucket than they were before. So all of that to say that those are really three areas that I think will now be permanent in our focus of health and how we address health. And so at the very beginning of our, our, our talk, I, I spoke about the CDC um, mapping out that 80% of what affects our health are those social determinants, behavior, physical activity, and 20% was clinical. Well, I, I'm putting money on it that that's going to go towards 90-10. So 90% of that will be um, communicable disease, chronic diseases, 
behavioral health, these things, and 10% will actually be what we can get in clinical care. And so that actually puts forward the need for organizations like the YMCA to be that much more face forward as a health organization to address these issues, because the healthcare systems are going to need our help in creating that continuum of care where they can treat the person and then send them to us, and then we can um, we can finish that piece off with transportation and food and, and social interaction and exercise programs to increase your immunity, right? So that actually has ballooned out what I think the, the wise responsibility in this um, post-COVID era will be. Did I answer all your questions on that one? <laughs> yes. That, sorry for the rattling of questions. I think I'm just trying to get my mind around it as well. Because um, really what it boils down to, this is, and what you're saying is this has surfaced a, a problem that was already there, but it's brought it more to light, right? Given the COVID pandemic and the why, the why has responded and then has to continue to respond while then also trying to bring up and, and bring go go back to what the Y was serving before um, as well and try to maintain both. Yeah, exactly. And we um, we will have to find, and that's what we're working on, a way of keeping people safe and healthy, even more so than if they were to only stay at home, because we need a place where they can exercise to boost their immunity. They can um, congregate in groups of 10 or less <laughs> to have social cohesion, to bring that component back. I mean, the, the loneliness of all age groups and what um, has the, the effect of that is um, we haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg on that yet, those longer term outcomes. So we will figure it out and then people will want will actually want to come to the Y for those places, maybe even more so than before, because we can't live in a bubble in our homes. Uh, we may need to for times if things surge up and surge down, but not permanently. So we've got to find a way to, to um, make this safe and healthy and workable for the long-term health of our communities. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for all of the work that you have been putting in and you and your team and the why and serving your community during this time. If someone wants more information about the YMCA of the Pikes Peak region, what's the best place for them to start? Well, I'm certainly happy to give out my contact information, which is gwinters at ppymca.org. You're welcome to email me. And then also, of course, our webpage, ppymca.org. And there's all sorts of, of contact information that you can find there. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I know this will be so helpful for all that are trying to navigate and figure out the reopening and the this whatever this new normal is going to be. Yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Accelerant Podcast. To check out previous episodes, see the full list on Daxo.com or your favorite podcast app. 